This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we take a closer look at who Jesus is. In the Bible, it says, He, God, is the way, the truth, and the life. Much more than a good man or enlightened leader, He is the one and only. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now. The title of my message today is The One and Only. Now the starting point of getting to know someone is to share your histories with each other. You get to know somebody, you might know their name, but then you get to know about that person. You get to swap the stories and share and get to know who they really are. It was a couple decades ago that I first met my wife, Jody, and we were young adults serving in the volunteers in the youth ministry at Emmanuel. And I got to know her, and then I really got to know her more. And as time went on, I got to know more and more of her story. She got to know more and more of my story. And that's how we built our friendship, if you will. That's the way relationships are built. They're built off of shared histories. It wasn't just me knowing about her, but it was also Jody knowing about me. And by the way, I want to keep knowing her. I don't want to be stuck in the 20s version of each of us but I wanna know the updated version. So it's not just a one-time meet and greet, but it's a overtime building of a relationship. And I'd like to get, uh, help us get to know Jesus better in that way throughout this series that we would get to know him more and more, maybe update it, refresh, if you will, some of the relationships. Some of you, you knew Jesus really well when you were young, but now it's kind of distant in the past and that relationship isn't real strong. Well, I want to encourage you to kind of update the, the friendship, hit the refresh button, if you will, and allow that relationship to grow again. Maybe you're a skeptic and you're on the outside looking in and somebody drug you to church today. You got a drug problem. <laughs> you got drugged to church today. And, and you came here or you're listening to me and, and you're like, man, I know about religion and I've seen other things. I've tried that before. Um, I, I just want you to know, Jesus isn't afraid of a conversation with the skeptic. He's not opposed to building friendship with people from whatever vantage point you come from. And, and if we can love him and know him more as time goes by. It doesn't happen all at once, but it can happen over time. Now, the thing about it is in this day and age, the, the name of Jesus is generally not offensive. People may have an issue with God the Father, or they might have an issue with the church, or people in the church, but they... Most of the time, they don't have a hang-up about Jesus. And uh, when it comes to Jesus, there's a general consensus that at the very least, he was a good guy. He must have been a good guy. And what you think of Jesus, though, is largely impacted by your background, where you grow up, the family that you grow up in, whether or not they took you to church or not, whether or not you heard stories or not. And even, by the way, if they did take you to church, it didn't mean it was a good experience about Jesus. But whatever background that you had influences how you think of Jesus when we talk about him. But imagine being in other parts of the planet. It's estimated that 7.47 billion people alive in the world today, 3.15 billion of them were, uh, live where there is little or no access to the gospel of Jesus. Nobody ever tells them about Jesus. They've never heard about Jesus from anyone else. And I know this, thankfully we don't, we don't live in that culture. It's a reason for us to want to Talk about Jesus overseas, amen. It's a reason to send missionaries and support the gospel being preached in other arenas. 
But for us in America, we have somewhat of a Christianized culture. There's a cultural concept of Jesus and religious backgrounds uh, that, that we have can filter our view of him when someone says the name of Jesus, whether it be positive or negative. So I wanted to think about this as we were moving into the series. I was thinking about, so what about the Twin Cities? What do people in the Twin Cities think? And there are all kinds of different vantage points that people come from. And so we sent Pastor Phil and a film crew downtown to ask people on the street, who do they think Jesus is? I want you to watch this. What's your view of Jesus? Uh, I don't really have any religious beliefs, so there it is. Tweet your own. Jesus, the truth, the way, and the light, that love will provide eternity of existence in the power that you was created is the power that you will be sustained for eternity. Jesus is my Lord and Savior and the Son of God and amazing. My Father on earth and in heaven. <laughs> he is my Savior. Without him, ain't nothing else happening. And I thank our Father for allowing him to sacrifice his only son for the sins of this world, knowing that we are not worthy. I love Jesus, dog. Jesus is my Savior. Come on, man, dude. You just brought a smile. I appreciate that. Jesus is um, it's a God thing. What it's what you believe in, you know. It's like there's a lot of churches and all that other stuff, but it's what's in here. It's in your heart. Who is Jesus? The son of God. Please believe me, he does not have blue eyes and blonde hair, but that's he does, <laughs> because he's everything. He's a mutt, I'm a mutt, I'm everything. Afro-American, Negro, whatever way you wanna look at me, whatever he is, I am, and we all are. So, without being covered in the blood of the Lord, you're, you can't do nothing without him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs> You never know what you're gonna get. Uh, I saw some of the outtakes from that that didn't make the cut that were just funny. Sometimes people just pick up religious language and they just say words because it sounds religious, but they're not talking about a person. Sometimes we miss who he really is and we kind of go through our life experience, the filter we have, or, and the people around us are the same. You know, my goal, my dream, would be throughout this series and even in our church, that we, we would live for everyone to know the real Jesus. And that somehow people would get past all the other junk and find the real him. And you know what? Jesus is not afraid of us asking these questions. In fact, Jesus actually asked his disciples the very same question. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 Jesus had been with his group of disciples. This was a group of people he had picked to be on his team that were traveling with them and they watched him do miracles and they'd seen him uh, speak to crowds. And he pauses in a kind of a course of a private conversation and he turns to his disciples and in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is a title for the Son of God or the Messiah. And he's basically saying, who do people say that, that I am? And he, his disciples were already plugged into the crowd. 
They knew people's opinion. If it was modern day, they would have already been watching everybody's Twitter feed or what they're saying about an event or some kind of social media feed. And, you know, there were, there were already going to be all of the memes out there about who Jesus was. And so the, he's asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And here's the response, verse 14. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Well, in order to understand those three things, which are actually very positive answers, you need to understand a little bit of context with the Bible. See, where we're reading right now is the book of Matthew. Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. There are four stories about Jesus that are called Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in the very first one of those stories. All different stories of the same time period of Jesus. It was like different news networks picking up on the same story. And so they're in this story with Jesus, but then there's a whole bunch of other books in the Old Testament. It's the first part or the first half of the Bible, if you will. And in that story, there were moments of time that God would send a word to a person that was called a prophet. That prophet would hear a, a message from God and he would turn and tell the king or the leaders and to the people a message that was from God. Each of these were uh, people that, that were messengers from God. Now, John the Baptist is the first one that they say. He's actually in the New Testament, but considered a prophet by many of the people. And John the Baptist was a contemporary of Jesus. He had started his public ministry before Jesus came on the scene. And if you dig a little bit deeper into the story, it's actually Jesus' cousin. Okay, and G John the Baptist was going out and preaching and telling people to repent, to get ready for this figure that was to come called the Messiah. And now J Jesus had shown up and he was proving himself to be the Messiah. John the Baptist went kind of into the fade to black territory. He kind of faded off the scene. He ended up in prison. He eventually got his head chopped off. But at this point in the story, when they said some of the crowd is thinking it's John the Baptist, it was reflecting people really didn't understand that these two people were alive at the same time. You'd never call somebody uh, a name if you thought that they were alive at the same time. So, so really what's going on is it's reflecting the crowd's perspective. And they're just kind of confused. They know the name of Jesus. They might have heard a few things, but their facts are screwed up. Then he says, some say Elijah. Elijah's this Old Testament prophet that did some miraculous signs and was really one of the biggest figures of the Old Testament. People knew about Elijah. Now, Elijah never died. In fact, the Bible says that he came, there was a, a chariot from heaven that came down and picked up Elijah and took him back to heaven. So they're thinking in terms of, well, maybe Elijah came back down from heaven again semi-plausible in religious terms, that that might have been the case. But Elijah probably wasn't it, but they said something, that's what he thinks is. Or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, Jeremiah was another prophet that proclaimed things to the people, and those predictions came true, and all of those things were, were uh, good. But the bottom line for Jeremiah or one of the prophets, that phrase, is the disciples were saying, they just think he's a good guy doing good things, and the best people that they could think of were prophets. And people were saying, he's a really good guy. 
So this is what the crowds are thinking. This is after Jesus is healing the sick, preaching the good news. We've already had the Sermon on the Mount. And now the crowds still quite aren't getting it, okay? And the disciples are filling Jesus in on what everybody else thinks. So Jesus then turns and he makes his question personal. Then he asked his disciples in verse 15, but who do you say I am? He pointed the finger, if you will, and says, who do you say that I am? He wants to know if they know the real Jesus. Do you get me? Do you understand who I am? Am I just another one of the people you respect? Or am I something different? And this is the question that Jesus would in kind turn back to you and I today. No matter what part of the story of knowing who Jesus is, he would turn to you and say, but who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? Are you caught up with whatever people on the street were saying? Are you caught up with what other vantage points people in your neighborhood? Are you just, you just don't care? Or what is, and Jesus is interested in you. He wants to know what's inside your head. He wants to know what's in your heart. Here's why it's important. Because Jesus isn't just one more prophet, one more good man, one more sage, one more enlightened leader. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we live in a world of pluralism where truth is customized. It's like a buffet. People add beliefs upon beliefs. They kind of believe in karma. They kind of believe in a little bit of Christianity. They kind of believe in their own humanistic viewpoint. They kind of believe in Buddhism. And they add it on. And that's what's... You, what's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me. And they kind of just pluralize everything. But friends, I want you to know, Jesus is asking the question today in a way where he's not an add-on. He's the one and only. And he wants to know whether or not people recognize that. If all the answers are true, then there is not any truth. Verse 16 of Matthew, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. In other words, you got, a, you got insight that's not natural. You understand who I am. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You see, Jesus is distinct and different from any human being being that has ever or will ever exist. He is both fully God and fully human. He is God made human who came and dwelt among us to lead us home. And you have a choice to make about what you're going to see him as. C.S. Lewis, an author, said that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And you got a choice to make of what you see him as. Is he a liar, is he a lunatic, or is it possible that he's actually the Lord? You see, Jesus' story is the result of one thing leading to another. If you go into the stories of the ancient scriptures, you will understand in Genesis where the creation happened. There was a process of humanity unfolding. And as humanity unfolded, God gave them a pathway. Mankind, humanity, Adam and Eve disobeyed and they sinned. And when they sinned, it sent all of humanity, all of, of the world, if you will, into chaos, 
into a place where there was dysfunction and broken relationships, generation after generation. And God so loved the world, he didn't want that to happen. So first, he sent the law. And he sent the law in to correct humanity, to get back in right relationship with God. And people followed that for a bit, but then their hearts re I went back to the default of sinful nature, and then it got worse and worse. So finally, he sends prophets, and those prophets were sending messages to the people saying, return to God, not just with your outer garments, but also with your heart. And God was speaking about those things to people, but somehow people kept blocking it out. They had periods, brief periods of time, where they responded with, with great uh, repentance, but then they went back to their old ways. So finally, one thing led to another another and God sends his one and only son into the world in the form of a miraculous baby boy who lives a sinless life has a public ministry for three years with the intention of in Jesus words seeking and saving lost things and he becomes a threat to the authorities of his day and one thing led to another and he would be crucified on a cross buried in a tomb on Friday and Saturday and the grand story of one thing leading it to another led to a resurrection for he truly was alive and is alive today. Can I get an amen? Here's, here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that Jesus looks at people and he wants to know what's going on inside of your head. He's interested in the real you. So though God was coming our way, doing all the work that he could do on our behalf, dying before we deserved it, we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans says. While that's all happening, he's still interested in you. It's crazy, right? Because this is the deal. People can put on a good show in public. I mean, think about this. Your Facebook or your Instagram or your Snap profiles. What do you show the world? You choose what you want other people to see what's inside of you. Our public me doesn't always match our private me. What we show other people, a private me, is the part that we don't share unless someone we really trust. And if we trust someone, we really drop our defense, our guard, and show the private me. But there's a lot of hurting frustrated people in today's society. Most people don't even know why. They just carry the silent baggage of frustration. And if we could strap on some kind of truth-telling helmet on your head to listen to the private thoughts of people, we may hear, I wish people knew how lonely I really am. I don't like what I've become, or I feel so angry with the world around me. There are people that would voice, I've progressed in my education and my career hasn't changed, this nagging feeling that's there. There's gotta be more to my life. Some people would say, I know I've sinned and I can't get rid of the guilt. Or others would say, people have hurt me so bad, I can't trust anyone. And so people sit there in the silence of their private me. And Jesus cares about the private world. While he was on the earth, he used the word 17 times to describe public me versus private me. And that word was the word hypocrite. You might have heard of that in a negative context. The only time Jesus used it in a negative context was to point out uh, evil in the hearts of religious people. But a hypocrite in those days was just something that was an, a part of theater. Someone would be an actor and they would have a mask on. And that was a part of acting. 
They were a hypocrite. And Jesus was referring to people and understanding who we are. You see, people, all of us have an inside and an outside. And Jesus gets that. And the scripture says that God is interested and concerned in us. Psalm 139, you've searched me, Lord, and you what? Know me. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct. See, God knows who we really are. He knows what's in the heart underneath the mask, but he wants that to be trusted in his hands. We hardly understand ourselves, and so we cover up. We feel the way we feel, and our thoughts and our feelings lead to our heart. And whatever you think about, whatever you're feeling, eventually becomes the condition of your heart. And some of us have trusted our thoughts and feelings to other things and found it messed our heart up. If we were honest, our hearts have been hurt. Some people close their inner world to protect themselves, but there is no one as trustworthy as Jesus. Trusting anyone else with your heart and eternity is deadly. And that's why in the New Testament, Peter got up and he preached to the crowds that were kind of curious about what was going on with this new church. In Acts 4.12, he says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So Jesus is this figure that is trustworthy. He's interested in what's inside your head and your heart. And he asks you questions. Who do you say that I am? Why should you consider looking into Jesus? I would like to say to you today, the reason you should consider looking further into Jesus is Jesus is the one who won't go away. At 33 years of age, he ascended to heaven, left the mission he came to the earth with and with a handful of ordinary people. You'd think the name of Jesus would fade away when those people died, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't go away. His passion, Jesus' passion, made its way through the first and second centuries of persecution. And still, Jesus would not go away. The church moved through the dark ages, hundreds of years of people that were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And still, the church of Jesus Christ moved forward, and he would not go away. The followers of Jesus took his challenge to love God with all their mind over the many centuries they followed him, and the more they followed him, they realized he wanted them to be like him. And so they used their mind, and God's not afraid of you using your brain. Come on, somebody. And Jesus started working in the lives of people and these followers, and the movement of Jesus started libraries and guilds of learning where Oxford and Princeton and Harvard and Yale and virtually the entire Western system of education arose because of Jesus' followers. I wish they would stayed with Jesus. But listen, it all started because of people who wanted to love the Lord with their mind. And he still was the man who would not go away. Jesus' followers heard him say, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so hundreds, if not thousands of years after his ascension, people started hospitals because they started the first hospitals noticing the needs of the communities that were around them. 
The relief centers came into the picture like the Red Cross where they would go and help with crisis and disaster relief. And it springs up still to this day. It is the heartbeat of Jesus to care for the least of these. And then as people looked at the prisons, they heard Jesus' words say, did you visit me in prison? And so people started prison ministries and one thing led to another and the Jesus movement would not go away. And people with evil hearts, let's be honest, Not everybody that said they're a follower of Jesus has been a good person. True? And there are people with evil hearts who try to use Jesus for evil purposes. Some use scripture to back slavery. But Jesus moved on his followers to liberate oppressed people. So even though that happened for a moment, it would not stop the movement of Jesus. I love what John Ortberg said in Who Is This Man? The Inquisitions, Witch Hunts. Crusades and defense of slavery, imperialism and resistance to science and wars of religion come and go and return. Judgmentalism and intolerance and bigotry infect continents and centuries and scandals among church leaders never seem to cease. And sometimes Jesus' followers cause him more trouble than his enemies. True. But Jesus survives his bad followers. This is what I want you to catch Even though people screw it up, your problem isn't with Jesus because the true followers of Jesus become like him and he outlives even the worst of those who call themselves Christians. Can I get an amen? Jesus is different. He is the one and the only. Something about Jesus prods people to give up what they'd rather not give up. People like Francis of Assisi, perhaps you've heard of him, Saint Francis, who gave up everything and he learned to serve people. Or a guy named John Newton who was a slave trader and God interrupted him and he abandoned, John did, the slave trade and he wrote the song Amazing Grace. Then he mentored a man named William Wilberforce, a man who was involved in politics and wanted to make a difference and he led the charge to abolish slavery in the UK long before it ever reached the United States. Or a person like Mother Teresa, who became a heroic figure, but she was a simple Christian woman who heard from Jesus to go serve the streets of Calcutta, India, to take care of the poor and the homeless, to start hospitals and make a difference in the lives of children. Jesus is the one who won't go away. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages by checking out emmanuelcc.org. Emmanuel's Sunday services can be seen live every week at 9 and 11 a.m. at emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.